Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Road of His College Football Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan LeCoe, joined by my co-host, Matt Wispay. This podcast is being brought to you by Blue Wire, FFPC, and Bet Online. Matthew, I'd ask you how you are doing, but that's such a complex question. So instead, I'm going to ask you, what is on your mind? Not a whole lot, weirdly. Um, just finished up a workday, so my mind is sort of fried, but I'm... Uh... I'm kind of happy. I, after having a day full of conference calls where I mostly sat on mute and listened, I get to talk a little bit. So uh, I actually get to talk about things I really enjoy, and that is college football, which, fingers crossed, is going to feel a little normal this year, seeming more and more towards trending that way. I hope so, man. I certainly hope so. But you know me, I am the eternal pessimist, so uh, <laughs> I have to see it to believe it. But uh, man, I'm, I, I am hopeful. I think it could be uh, a much needed, a much needed distraction from everything else and do you know what's funny is that i uh as you know did the uh rotoviz baseball podcast last year and we decided not to do it this year because i just didn't have time to commit to all that and rotoviz doesn't really do much baseball stuff anyway so uh we decided not to do it but man i am so glad i did not waste hundreds of hours prepping and doing all that all that work for a season that's probably not even going to take place my god baseball. well that's did you see what was happening today like so john Heyman came out and um, he was like, they're close to a deal. It is all systems go. All they got to do is sign away their uh, waiver for grievance, which in its own right, that's a huge waiver. Um, but whatever. So the players had to waive this right. And there, it, it basically all systems go. Twitter rejoices. Literally five minutes later, another beat reporter from The Athletic jumps in and he's like, they're nowhere close to a deal. They <laughs> sent something, not even close. Not sure where the story that it's close is coming from yeah baseball's yeah, a mess it is it is uh speaking of waivers ohio so, state this was a big story and i know you have thoughts i don't know why this was a big story um i think people around the country are very likely going to begin signing similar waivers whether you are working in your office whether you are working outdoors and have to go to like a site where you have to interact with people whether you are flying in a plane you will likely have to start signing this waiver anything where you do where you have to be within like a crowded group of people if that is in a thing that will be required for such activity you will likely have to sign some kind of waiver um basically saying that you will be honest in your symptoms you will um you will basically treat it seriously and not just treat it like a joke that's going to be a very normal thing through for a while. And so the fact that this became this huge story that for Ohio state to ask their players to sign a waiver, to come back for voluntary workouts. So I guess my thought process on this is when you go to a gym, when you sign up for a gym, you sign waiver after waiver after waiver, because you are having an option to go and use their facility. Or so, even like a trampoline, like my, my kids do those trampoline, Mm -hmm. uh, like events for birthdays and stuff like that, where they're bouncing all over the place. You're signing waivers to go there too. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's not this crazy unheard of thing. I get uh, this story. Right. I get the reason why people jump on this story. And if you talked about it from a purely everyone in college football standpoint, Oh yeah. goodness, then sure. I gave you a little bit of, I will give you a pass because your thought process is if you think it is unsafe, then no one should be back. But the truth is a lot of these schools kind of care about the money a ton and they're just being a little more honest about it than they would have been if there wasn't so much money on the line. Um, the truth is that this is going to be a thing across the country. And the only reason Ohio state, um, there was a story about it was because one, it was Ohio state and two, because they were the first ones where people right. heard about it. Yep. 
Yep, it was the the first one that they saw, and so people jumped on. And of course, as most people, um, yours truly included, uh, don't necessarily read the entire article, but read the headlines and then jump to conclusions. And and that's <laughs> that's what a lot of people do. And I don't just do that with sports; I do that with everything. I very rarely read articles, Honestly, but I love headlines. <laughs> I wish I had time to read every article that I read a good headline on. Oh man, I wish. People- People are good headline writers these days. And if you're not, no one's clicking on it. That's for damn sure. Um, I wanted to, before we get into some of the other news, I wanted to talk a little bit about a really, like a a super crazy um, Debbie League that I just joined this past week. So um, Matt Hicks at the FF underscore educator, the fantasy educator, he started up this Debbie League. It is a 24 team uh, Debbie League, single copy, super flex. And it is bananas. I think we can have up to three Debbies this first year. Uh, but it is crazy because it's single copy and you have 24 teams and it's a super flex. You would like to be able to think that there's 48 starting quarterbacks available. But no, <laughs> people are scrambling, scrambling for quarterbacks. So uh, my second round pick was uh, Kirk Cousins, which was disgusting. <laughs> but but it happened. And it's just been nonsense. But it, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm curious, if you were in a league like that, Matt, what would your kind of strategy or approach be knowing it's Debbie, but knowing it's super, super deep? What would you what would you be thinking? Would you be loading up for the future knowing that uh, it's hard to get high value picks, um, especially at those positions like, uh, like quarterback. Oh, it's also tied in premium, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's madness. I mean, I think as, cause you and I were talking about this a little bit while you were going into the draft and I gave you mixed advice. Um, initially I told you just use your pick on a quarterback. Um, because you were what fourth. I was fourth. Yeah. So you, I basically told you go quarterback quarterback to start because having a super flex, having a actually good quarterback. So that's to say, if you have a quarterback that is still top 20 as your QB two, you will have a pretty nice advantage at that super flex position because, well, you can start two QBs every week and there are going to be a lot of teams in this league that are only starting one. So, I mean, I think my advice on that is you can't play the middle. You can't say... Well, I want to win now, but then start like panicking because you don't have youth. You kind of have to either go for it or not, because if you sit in the middle, you'll likely be a team that doesn't get a window quick enough. So your team will either be like, so in a 24 team league, I'm assuming the playoffs are eight or 12. I think it's 12. So at 12. So if you get, if you're a 12th place team in that league, your team sucks. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't mean this in like, like your team is probably a decent team and probably could win mo- against most teams in the league every week. But the super good, the super good team is probably miles ahead of you. And then the teams that are tanking at the back of the draft that are getting the Trevor Lawrence, the Justin Fields, the um, ETN, getting all the like super Debbies in a year or two, they're going to pass you by and they're going right. to be way ahead of you to a point where you can't keep up. And you're not going to be number 12. (laughs) So it's, it's one of those things. So you have to make a choice where you either have to go for, I'm one, two, three this year, or I am 21, 22, 23, 24. And you are trying to build up the future. So, you know, me, I love a good future build. I I can't help myself every year. I I tell myself I'm going to go do win now. And then I, I take like 17 Debbie picks. So this is why we're such a great team because I I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, God, I don't have the patience to wait. I want to win right now. And because I am a pessimist, I'm like this, this league will probably fold in two years anyway. I may oh, as well yeah. win now. <laughs> so I, 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 will I, say, I take the win now approach more, more often than not. I only do a tank approach. I will only punt a year if I think that team or if I think that league is locked and loaded to be staying there. Um, right. And that's, to say that I have two leagues I'm tanking in right now, and both of them are filled with basically all analysts that talk every day. Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you feel in general about uh, these more creative, outside-the-box type of leagues? Do you like being in those, or do you find that they get a little bit too um, crazy and nuanced that it uh, takes away from some of the 
some of the joy that you're maybe accustomed to with more standard. I mean, even Debbie's already. I think it's a different feel. I mean, I think there's undeniably a different feel when the more complex you get because you start to do like you can't expect to get a hundred points in a week. If your team is filled up with third wide receivers on rosters, like if you're starting Atlanta's third wide receiver, you can't expect them to score 10 points a week. If oh, you're Russell Gage is going off this year. Baby. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but that's kind of the thing. It's like, yeah. it's sort of, you have to like your weekly expectation sitting down and like watching your scoring on a weekly basis is very different in a league. The more complex it gets, the deeper it gets. Um, I know a few years ago I did a 20 team redraft league and it was basically all flexes in the starting. So you had super as much roster flexibility as you could possibly want. And I just sat in, sat there remembering that I scored 70 points and I was like the third highest score. And I was just like, wow. Oh, and it was, I mean, it was full PPR. It wasn't tight end premium. Cause that wasn't quite a thing at that time yet, or it wasn't a, a common thing, sure. but yeah, I mean, we were sitting there and I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't know how to adjust. So, I mean, I love it. Um, I told, I've told you pretty much at this point, the only new league I would join has to be something kind of creative. And I think right now, honestly, the only new league I would join is if I got a campus to Canton one where it's, you basically have two simultaneous leagues going because I love college fantasy right now. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Uh, we've got a good show for you today. We're going to do a little bit more news here. Uh, then we are going to jump into uh, talking a little bit about one of Matt's uh, recent articles that just went up on Rotoviz. talk a little bit about some some injuries that have occurred. Then we're going to jump into some some Debbie rankings. We're going to figure out why Matt is higher than consensus on a couple of guys and lower on others. Uh, so it'll be a good show. Uh, we'll, we got a little tease for you at the end. Well, Matt and I have decided that we are going to be more consistent with our episodes now that we're getting closer to the season now that it looks like the season will in fact take place we'll be going every other week uh for the next little bit and then of course we'll be going weekly again uh not before too long but you can be looking forward to hearing from us uh yeah every other week so we're excited for that uh let's get into some more news though uh just the other day we had a bit of a controversy over in oklahoma state uh chuba hubbard commented on twitter about uh just the need for change after seeing his coach uh, wearing a shirt. And, and I think that um, the shirt wasn't the issue as much as everything else that kind of underlined uh, what goes on at Oklahoma State is the feeling I got from reading a bunch of former players and other players on the team's uh, comments and acts, acts, excuse me, of, you know, just solidarity with Chuba. And so uh, Gundy, of course, responded and then got a little bit of backlash because the the response was kind of odd as it was mainly Chuba apologizing and then Gundy came back out again. So all this to say, what do you think is the fallout in Oklahoma state? And then feel free to uh, kind of talk about some of the other locations where we've seen stuff happen, like the uh, firing of the coordinator up in Iowa, et cetera. So I think Oklahoma state's probably going to be the one that we actually see the least amount of fallout. And it's partially because, um, I, I mean, I think that it, he didn't quite reach the level of fireable offense because there wasn't the mass uprising within current players, the way that I fully would have expected it to be like, there were a few and there were definitely enough stories where it was, he has to come out and apologize and he has to make a change, but it does kind of still seem like head coaches are unless something huge, massive comes out, it's unlikely to make a dramatic change. So um, I think I think Gundy's going to be fine. I think he's hopefully going to be a little bit smarter about his choice of apparel and how vocally he supports OAN. Um, because to be quite honest, this wasn't the first time he had he had Correct. said that. He called it uh, months ago. He called it his favorite news network. And if for anyone who wants to sit here and say, "Oh well, if he was wearing a CNN shirt," I'm sorry, there that's different. CNN very well might be left leaning, might be a, a liberal news site, but for the most part, they are a news site. OAN is a propaganda site that has said very, very harsh things about the Black Lives Matter movement. And in this current climate, for him to disregard that and like very publicly put out there this thing, I can understand why Chuba Hubbard would have this response. Right. If, as we've kind of seen, there have been other things in the site or kind of behind the scenes that have been, hey, maybe he's said some stuff that weren't quite um, black friendly. Yeah. So. 
I think yeah, it, I, I think overall it, it it'll probably blow over in Oklahoma State because they kind of known who Mike Gundy is for a while. But at the same time, I do think that hopefully he will have a little bit more delicacy in what he does and he thinks about things um and who he vocally supports and what he says maybe he thinks about it a little bit more right and of course he has the right to the freedom of speech and expression however those those choices that he makes do have consequences with his team like he is not solely responsible like he is responsible for his actions but those actions uh, will influence and impact the players that have decided to give him three to four years of, of their of their careers in college and uh, it, it won't surprise me and I actually would like to hear to hear your thoughts on this uh, coaches who aren't um, pro black lives matter do you think if they are either against it or silent on the issue it could impact and I know this is kind of a weird place to take it but do you think it could impact their recruiting absolutely going forward I mean, yeah. I, I think that um, I think we are getting to a point where if you are silent on the issues of the day and silent on the meaningful issues of daily lives that people notice. I mean, we could sit here and say that, oh, yeah, Clemson, he uh, Dabo Sweeney got out there in front of a, a march and um, spoke at a Black Lives Matter protest. But the truth is he had been very silent before that and people were noticing and mm-hmm. I mean, I can say this because I follow a few Clemson recruits um, who were Ohio State targets at one point, but there was a thing going on in downtown uh, Clemson where there was Confederate flags flying all over the place. And I mean, players are noticing that. I think that you're going to see that if you are in an area that is not as friendly to that culture, it is going to have an effect because it, I mean, how can it not? You are signing up to go spend three to four years of your life in a city, in a culture. And if that culture is not friendly to your culture, it's going to be very hard to sign the dotted line. Right. Right. Especially for these big time recruits who have a lot of options. It was interesting seeing, because uh, I, of course, follow a bunch of Oregon players, seeing their reaction to what was going on and just being like, hey, Chuba, you should come up here. Or, you know, like, I mean, Oregon has its own issues, but the coaching staff there has been very vocal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it falls out. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about? Just kind of some of the other schools, uh, Iowa, Florida state, anything, anything else? I I mean, I think for, I think it's sort of for as much as this is going to suck. If you're a fan of a program, it's going to suck. If your program gets hit with this type of stuff, but like if you're Oklahoma state and this ultimately leads to the group of players on that team, feeling like they are more welcome, feeling like they are a bigger part of the community and feeling like their coach actually cares about their daily, their daily problems. That is a positive for Florida state where it was something where, um, shoot, I don't even know the coach's name off the top of my head where Norvell, where Mike Norvell misspoke in an interview said he individually contacted every single player and that just wasn't true. And it was, he offered to talk, but he didn't actually talk to all the players. And it leads to this greater um, coming together of players and having this better culture where the coach is, becomes part of it. It's ultimately better. And again, and then Iowa. I think with Iowa, we've always heard about this Iowa culture, Iowa culture. Um, and maybe we never thought about it from the per- outside perspective of what if you were the person in there getting told that your haircut had to look a certain way, that your um, clothes had to be a certain way. And then you realize that it was only affecting one group of players on your team, I think that would be ultimately something that was concerning. And if all of this leads to them having a better situation, the players have something where it is a more welcoming culture, ultimately it's going to be better for them in the long term. Um, for Iowa, it's, un- I mean, I don't want to say unfortunate, their their coach likely deserved to be let go, but it's unfortunate they lost maybe the best strength and conditioning coach, but if by losing him, they have a better culture and now players are more likely to come in there, maybe they are in a better place moving forward. So yeah, it's just, I mean, it is a big story. And I, I mean, I don't, we don't need to dwell too much on the politics of the world, but I think that we would be remiss not to mention it and just say that this is happening and you're going to see that coaches aren't going to just be, I mean, 
they're going to struggle a lot more to be this hard ass who lives by their 1960s culture. They're going to have to kind of adapt to the times a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, if you do want our political takes, you can follow me at StayFunLeCo on Twitter and you, you certainly will see them. Uh, Matt, of course, is Wispy the Kid. Uh, Every once keep in a while, us a follow. I and, political. Yeah, I, I, I am very political on Twitter um, and I won't tell you which way I lean, um, but it's probably not too surprising. I'm a European after all. Um, let's talk a little bit. I don't think we've talked much about the Georgia quarterback room. They yeah. brought in. They brought in two new, uh, two new QBs this year. What who the are fuck going to be are they doing? I love it. <laughs> like, you got Jamie, Jamie Newman, who had 32 total touchdowns last year between rushing and passing. Former three-star recruit from Wake Forest, and then JT Daniels, five-star recruit, former USC starter. Of course, um, had injuries and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is going to be interesting. What, what's what's going on in Georgia? So I think in. I think they're banking on JT Daniels not being eligible to play this year. Um, which is yet to be determined as which, far so as I know, he, right? I, from my understanding is he's going to challenge the one year sitting out or he's going to try and say that he only played one game last year. That should count as his red shirt. Let him play, um, which I think he should be eligible. But, Jamie but we don't Newman, know, right? There hasn't been... There hasn't been a ruling, correct? There, To my understanding, there has not been a ruling on his eligibility. Right. And they have, for the most part, said that the the free agency talk, the one-year free transfer in your, uh, in your college career, they have basically kicked that down the road and said they're not going to vote on it this year. Cool. Um, don't like that. We think every player should have the right to have one free transfer. That's my right. opinion. But, Agreed. Um, so Jamie Newman, he comes from a read option, kind of spread it out, not really a pro style offense. He made a choice to transfer to Georgia because they run a more pro style, something that is likely to get him to the NFL if he is truly talented enough. He was phenomenal at Wake Forest. He had them as one of the most dynamic offenses in the country. Um, I think uh, I didn't ever pick them much last year because their totals were always like in the 70s. But, but I think you did pick them against Boston College last year, that's actually. Probably. That's something I do. But <laughs> I, I pick them in weird games. I'm not going to pick them in spots where it's like them right. against Clemson. Of course not. Why I remember that, I do not know. But well, <laughs> nevertheless. That's so, yeah, it's me. Um, but so then, and then you've got JT Daniels who transferred in. And I was convinced. I had talked myself fully into he was going to go to LSU. That made too much sense to me. He should have gone to LSU. He needed to be the starter at LSU because LSU does not have a good starting quarterback. Um, and they're probably going to fall off a cliff because of it. But so JT Daniels comes in. JT Daniels was a player who started as a true freshman at USC when their offense was still a mess. So everyone can sit here and say, oh, well, Keaton Slovis did so much better. Keaton Slovis did so much better. They brought in an air raid um, last year. The prior year, they were still running old school offense, trying to be a little more pro style. They brought in an air raid, and Keaton Slovis went apeshit. So... um, it's sort of funny to me because the other thing about JT Daniels is he also, he did start a true freshman, but he was also a reclassified player. So he was actually playing as a freshman when he should have been a senior in high school. So he's incredibly young and now he is in his second QB room. Um, and I'm going to put this out there. I think JT Daniels is substantially more talented than Jamie Newman. And if JT Daniels, um, when, or if JT Daniels is granted eligibility, Jamie Newman might be kind of screwed. And I know that a lot of people like Jamie Newman as kind of a deeper uh, QB to go after in these Debbie leagues. He might not play this year if JT Daniels gets eligibility. So here, here it is question for you. You have the opportunity to pick one of these guys in a Debbie league. Which one are you going to grab? I prefer Daniels. I have Daniels in a lot of spots, but it's largely because I've gotten him for super cheap. Um, but we're talking about a guy who, excuse me, in a year, in a, in a, uh, recruiting class high school year that had Jaden Daniels, had Sam Howell, had, uh, Justin Fields and had Trevor Lawrence. He was third. So he was ahead of Howell and he was ahead of Daniels. So if I'm speaking, actually, I'm wrong about that. That's dumb. I am wrong on that front, but he was in a class where he was third. Um, and I am way wrong on that front because it did not have Howell and Daniels because they were in the next year. Um, either way, 
we're talking about a really, really high rated recruit. And he was a five-star quarterback recruit in the class of, I believe it was 2019. Nope. 2018. That's crazy. If- <laughs> I am not in mid-season form, by the way. No, I apologize. Hey, hey, question for you. I'm just looking at the rankings and we're going to do more of this later. Um, none of us have JT Daniels ranked. We only go through top 70. So do you think um, we that's something that we need to to readjust and look at? Or do you think outside the top 70? Uh, See, here's the problem. I think... Top 70 overall, obviously, yeah, not top it's 70. It's probably fair, unfortunately, to not rank him because he might sit another year. Right. But if he's granted eligibility and he becomes the starting quarterback, I like JT Daniels a lot, and I think he's going to be valuable. Um, and I think he's going to eventually get on the field this season. And so maybe we can't rank him high. I mean, we can't put him as a f- top 40 player. And truthfully, I-, I probably wouldn't recommend drafting him in your standard Debbie league because most of those are only somewhere between two and four rounds. But if you're in right. a deep Debbie league, He's a guy I'm definitely looking to stash. And I, I mean, literally any league where he was drafted and sitting on somebody's Debbie, I'm making offers because I think he's really talented. And I think that offense is eventually going to open up a little bit more. And maybe, I mean, maybe he turns out to be Jake Fromm. Maybe he turns out to be someone who isn't very valuable. But you're talking about a guy who was the 16th overall player in the country in 2018. He was the number three overall quarterback, the number two pro style quarterback. And he was the number two player in the state of California that year. You don't get that very often. And he's still, even though he's maybe not going to play a game until his fourth year of college, he will be the same age as a lot of third year kids. And he may still go to the NFL at the same age as most third year players. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, let's move on. Uh, before we jump into your article, let's hear the FFPC stat attack, Matt. So our FFPC stat of the day, because we are a college football podcast, we're focusing on a college. Clemson has 123 receptions, 2,032 yards, and 21 touchdowns vacated between Higgins going to the NFL and Justin Ross with his injury. Cool. We will talk more about that in a second, but before we do... I just want to let you know that FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. Of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. I think we have uh, like four or five different tools and apps you can use to really give you an edge over there so do check it out that's my ffpc.com you will not be disappointed uh, matt let's jump into your article that was released yesterday i believe where you dive into some of the key injuries that have taken place uh which uh are, are pretty significant so let's start with clemson because we just uh, gave that stat so uh yeah hit, hit us with the justin ross news and what that might mean i know you give some some outlooks in your article of what it could mean for some of the other guys um, in the wide receiver room at Clemson. So take it away, my man. So there's, there's really, so before I I guess I talk about who gets impacted, you have to talk about Justin Ross went in for an, or when it was planning a surgery for basically what was considered stinger like sensations. Um, He was planned for an early surge or an early June surgery. They went and did an X-ray and found out that he had a very serious neck condition that he was born with, where he actually, I believe he had two of his, uh, two of his vertebrae had fused. And so he had to have those um, separated. This not only puts his 2020 season um, ending it, but it actually puts his football career kind of in doubt. Now, I think he's a fairly high athlete player and I think he seems like he's pretty determined. So I won't be overly surprised if he does make a return. It's, it's pretty disappointing because there were most people who um, most scouts who watched Clemson actually thought he was the more talented player of him and T Higgins. But um, I've only been saying that since he was a freshman, but whatever. Right. <laughs> um, but so when you have an injury like that go down, like we said, there are 123 receptions now avail- available to a room that last year was super duper deep. 
now it's kind of concerning. Um, you have, so the top two names that you're likely to hear about when you're talking about Clemson is Joseph Nagata, who was the 52nd overall player in the class of 2019. Um, and was, I believe the third most uh, used receiver on Clemson's offense last year. He accounted for 9% of Clemson's yard and 10% of their touchdowns. So the reason everyone loves him, it's because he got used as a freshman and it's because he was a highly rated player. He's also very big, so they're not really changing the archetype of the receiver that they have. So what is the concern with him? Well, his ADP is now a top three round pick. Um, It's gone up from back end of the third all the way up to middle of the third, and it's probably going to keep rising with this injury because he was the instant buy. Um, Right. The problem is it's going to keep rising probably the back end of the second round. So you're probably going to have to pay the same price for him that you would have to pay for um, Chris Olave for, um, I don't even know. I got to look at the ADP, but I would say there are quite a few guys that you're going to be paying for in that range that are a lot more proven and are a lot more trustworthy. So in that same range is David Bell, Kylan Hill, Chris Olave, Zach Charbonnet. And honestly, Joseph Nagata is right there behind him. His ADP has actually rise since my article. Hmm. So, um, so that's, those are the big ones. So the guy that I actually, if I am a dynasty or if I'm a Debbie player, the guy I'm looking to buy is Frank Ladson Jr. He was the 39th overall player of the class of 2019 and the seventh best wide receiver. So actually as a high school recruit, he was higher ranked than Nagata. Um, Didn't have the same impact, only had nine receptions for 128 yards, but he did convert three of those into touchdowns. So he's a proven guy that they do look at towards the end zone. His ADP is on the rise, but as of right now, he's about two full rounds later. So you're talking about a guy now that you're looking in the same range so at round 53, you're looking at DJ Williams, Derek Gray, Bo Nix, Kendall Milton. So a lot less proven assets. So he's a, he's a guy I'm buying at a lot cheaper price because he has the similar type upside to Nagata and there's still just a ton of targets. So he was already going to make an impact this year because he was going to be the third wide receiver option, but now he's the second. So you give me a receiver who was a high, a high pedigree player who is now catching targets from uh, Trevor Lawrence. I'm really excited about that. And he's a sophomore this year, is that correct? He is a sophomore. So both he and Nagata are true sophomores. But if I was buying one of them, um, if you want me to say which one do I think is more guaranteed to become um, 25% market share, I'd probably say Nagata. Um, But if you are saying which one of these players am I getting for cheaper and might have more bang for their buck, it's Ladson Jr., and again, 123 vacated receptions, not targets, and over 2,000 yards and over 20 touchdowns. So there's a lot of opportunity because remember the, let's say, con- little tease here, the second best quarterback in the country <laughs> is is the one throwing the ball. Second and, best. And, uh, and they've got a deep quarterback room. Um, so if something happens to Lawrence or, or after he... Or next year, yeah, yeah. Presumably goes to the NFL after his junior year... Uh, they shouldn't see a huge fall in in quarterback play, relatively speaking to other, how how it could be with other other people, other quarterback rooms. So uh, definitely a, a wide receiver room that that piques a lot of people's interest because uh, not only have they provided good uh, Devi assets in the past, but I mean this this really could be a, a nice opportunity for for these guys to to, to break out this year. Uh, let's and move on to oh, do you have so and I did just want to quickly throw out a few more names. Um, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell. They're also the the veteran guys that are in the room. They're probably going to see a lot more target or a lot more usage rate this year, but they don't really have any upside, so completely fade them. Um, the guys that are who are if you are in a super deep league, if you're in a campus to Canton. Um, stuff like that, where it's these, where you are having very large rosters. Uh, EJ Williams was their top wide receiver commit in this up year, upcoming class. He's, um, he's tall, six foot four, uh, sub four, seven forty. I think he was like four, six, six. So not super fast, but he, he's going to get on the field and mop up duty. So we might get similar numbers to what, um, Nagata got last year. He's just an interesting guy. And then one guy who I just think is fairly athletic. I haven't seen any testing numbers on him is this player named Aju Aju. Um, he was a three-star receiver out of Clearwater, Florida. Um, 
everything I've seen from him is very athletic and he seemed to do well in good competition last year. Great. Thank you. Uh, Let's move over to Oklahoma where Hazelwood had a mysterious ACL injury. He's expected to miss at least the first part of the season. I'm not exactly sure what that means. It sounds like they are hopeful that out. he is able to play some, but ACL injuries are, are tricky. And I, I don't know. I don't know if you uh, expect him to play at all this year or not, but uh, let's, let's yeah. hear your thoughts on Hazelwood. So Hazelwood ACL injury don't really bank on him being back. And it's really sad because with CD lamb gone, he was very likely going to have a breakout year because every year one Oklahoma wide receiver puts up video game numbers. And with Spencer Rattler, it was probably going to become more of a passing offense, even than it was last year because Rattler is going to be a better passer than hurts. Um, so what are the names to look at? Well, let's Rambo. just start. With, let, we're, let's start right now with the class of 2019 that they brought in was freaking absurd. So not only they bring in Jaden Hazelwood, who was the number one wide receiver in the class, they brought in Theo Weiss, who's a guy that everyone seems to love right now, even though he hasn't gotten used much. Um, he was the third rank, rank, third ranked wide receiver in that class. So he was just behind Hazelwood. And the only other guy above him um, was Garrett Wilson, who we all saw as amazing and plays for a better school anyway. So he only had <laughs> eight receptions last year for 132 yards and two touchdowns. The thing that's a little bit scary about him for me is that his ADP for the month is 40th overall and his overall ADP for the year is 46. Yes, he is the highest upside of the guys that are currently on the roster. The problem is you are paying for it. So he is a super duper high upside guy. So if you are looking at Debbie spots that you can kind of throw away a little bit, you don't need them to hit. But if they become a superstar, great. He is a guy that I would say is a nice buy, but there's a lot of risk baked into his price. So don't trade a lot for of him. Waiting time. <laughs> yeah, don't don't trade for him. Don't um don't reach for him. But if you get him in like that back end of the third on a roster that can kind of sit there and wait and doesn't need him to hit, he's a guy I would target. Now, uh, the other guy that I I just want to quickly mention is uh, Treyon Bridges. He d- basically didn't get used. He only had a two percent share of yards as a freshman, but he was the eleventh um, best wide receiver in the class of 2019. Adding, he was the third wide receiver in their class, but he was the eleventh best in the country. It's insane to me. Um, only seven receptions for 82 yards, but another guy, high four star player. He's valuable, but he's a real lotto ticket. You're not expecting to get a ton, but the guy that I really love and the guy that I will tell everyone that they should be targeting in their last Debbie spot, get him is Charleston Rambo. Just because um, he's got the best name in football. No, it's because he was already the guy that you should have been buying. Yeah. Even before Hazelwood's knee injury, he was the guy to buy. So right now his ADP is 113th overall. You want to know what that means? It means he's free. Um, yeah. You can get him in basically any league other than if you're in a CFF league because he plays for Oklahoma and no one ever trades Oklahoma players. Last year, he had an 18% share of uh, yards and a 14% share of touchdowns. So what did that equate to in actual raw production? 743 yards and five touchdowns. What was his yards per reception? It was over 17. So he is a field stretching player. So why do I, uh, why is he unloved? Well, it's because he was, um, he was a pretty average um, prospect by comparison to the guys around him. He wasn't a five-star and he say, he's still a four star. He was still a four yeah, star. Yeah, but it's if you're not like the number yeah. one wide receiver and you yeah. weren't highly decorated out of high school, people forget about you when they bring in these new guys. That's true. It's it's a thing happening at Oklahoma. I mean, at Ohio State, there are people currently forgetting about the third wide receiver on Ohio State's depth chart right now. But the guy was a top 100 player. So um, it's it's this depth, and as these as the rich get richer, you sort of forget these guys that are contributors. But Charleston Rambo, he probably has the lowest ceiling of any of the uh, Oklahoma wide receivers, but I actually feel like he's the safest guy to be guaranteed to make a roster. So he's a name to get. Put him on the back end of your rosters. Just have him sit there. He'll eventually be in there. And I while I don't think he'll ever really become like a wide receiver two in the NFL, he's going to be a guy that you can sit there with flex value. Yep, and he uh, he will be eligible for the draft, so he uh, you, you yeah, could even he's see, dope. yeah, you could see some some pretty pretty quick turnaround for uh, contributing contributing to your NFL fantasy team. Uh, let's move on to some Debbie talk. Whoa, uh, but whoa, first, whoa! I have to get this. Oh, last I'm sorry. There. We got you we got Kyle Ford. I'm so Kyle so Ford. Sorry. 
he's not the he unlike Ross and Hazelwood, he isn't this guy that um really made he's not a guy that was already a huge impact player. He wasn't a guy that was a thousand yards last year. Heck, I think he had two recept nope, he had one reception last year. So why am I talking about his injury? Well, paired with the loss of Michael Pittman, now all of a sudden there is volume available for the top guy on the team, and that is Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Amon Ross St. Brown is a top five wide receiver in the class, even though I don't know if I have him ranked that high. Um, in his two years at USC, remember one of those years was a garbage offense. He's already got 1,792 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, last year, he had a 24% share and he was the second leading receiver during Keaton Slovis's freshman campaign. So what you're talking about right now is a guy that already is productive, already has a 24% market share year. And now all of a sudden there's really not a lot of competition for him for targets. And the guy that was expected to make a leap just went out with an ACL injury. So uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is a guy that we're looking for if he can end up with like a 40% market share type year. And I know that sounds absurd, but they're like, if he does what uh, Allen Robinson did to finish out, um, you're looking at a guy that is probably going to have first round 80 or first round draft value and will be in competition for the number one overall player. Um, But for deeper, uh, deeper player or deeper prospects, Drake London is a guy I like. He's also a, he's a true sophomore. Um, in depleted leagues, he's a guy that you can just put on there at the end of your bench. Uh, he had 567 yards and five TDs as a freshman, so more than Ford already. So he was already a guy that I like to make a little bit of a contribution. And then deeper, deeper leagues, uh, Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy was the number one athlete ninth overall prospect in the class of 2019. People kind of forgot about him because the bigger story about him was the fact that he went to Texas after flipping from USC late got on campus and all of a sudden said, I'm homesick and left. So people have kind of forgot about him, but he was a very highly regarded player, super high pedigree. If you, he's probably already gotten in a lot of your leagues. If, uh, if it's deeper, if it wasn't, if he's sitting out there and you can get him for cheap, I like him as a guy that you can get for cheap in like Debbie auctions. He's a guy I probably would like to target. Thank you. I am so sorry, and I'm sorry. Everyone Mr. just Ford. forgets about Kyle Ford because he's not a big name. But you're right; it does have big impacts. And uh, we actually have uh, St. Brown as one of the guys we're going to talk about. But before we jump into um, where you differ on your higher and lower than consensus, uh, a quick word from some of our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. I'm Dave Cabin, host of the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting RotoViz Radio. We love producing these shows, and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, loyal podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one-year Rotoviz subscription by using the promo code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into the show. All right, we're back. Thank you so much for sticking around. Let's talk some Debbie, higher and lower. We were just talking about Amon Ross St. Brown, and he is someone that you are higher on the most. You actually have him as your wide receiver number four, so he is in that okay. top five for you. You have him uh, top 10 overall. I think you actually have him number eight overall, so you are very high on him. Uh, higher than consensus. You've already given us a little bit of uh, a reason why, but I just want to throw a little bit, uh, throw some numbers at people. Uh, last year, he had 77 receptions for over a thousand yards and six touchdowns. I just want to hear from you. You you did mention that crazy 40% number. Uh, what, what are your realistic expectations from Amon Ross St. Brown this upcoming year? And, I fully uh, I guess I should say I fully expect him to have what we define as a a breakout season. So a 30% dominator rating or higher. Um, I think he is going to be him and Tyler Vons are the only receivers that will be returning that have gotten any substantial volume from Slovis last year. So you're talking about an offense that yes, is going to put up kind of video game numbers because it's air raid. So let's say they throw for 4,500 yards. I kind of expect Amon Ross St. Brown to end up in that 
1500 to 1800 range. And I'm hopeful that the touchdowns go up a little bit this year and that we're looking at maybe a guy that's looking at like 10 or 12 TDs. So potentially yeah. doubling. So if he can do that, so His this is where I'm caveating a lot crazy. of stuff. I love him as a player for him to jump to in the conversation for number one, he needs to have that kind of year. And so if he can do that, I will have no issues putting him there with Rondale Moore, Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman. He's already right behind uh, Bateman and them for me. Um, but for him to make that leap, we're talking about he needs to have a dominant season, and I think that's very possible. Yeah, no, that that that, that sounds good. Let's talk about uh, two more receivers here. Uh, let's head over to uh, Florida State. Tamori and Terry, uh, he had a, a pretty, pretty impressive year last year as well. He put up uh, 60 receptions with just under 1,200 yards. Um and nine touchdowns. Uh, so, so very productive year. Uh, when I was looking at the numbers, I was actually surprised at, at how strong his sophomore year was. So he is someone that uh, the Devi community maybe, I mean, I think most people have heard of him, uh, but maybe are not quite as high as you. Uh, I know I'm the lowest on him of everyone. And after looking at some of the, I was watching some yeah, film on him, him. I was like, I need to move him up a little bit. Um, you have him higher though than uh, than just about anyone else over at Rotoviz. So uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, what you see in him and, and why you're excited about uh, Terry. I will say, looking at Devi Watch ADP, he's 12th over there, and I have him 14th overall. But yep. um, so I'm kind of in line with their thinking. My logic is he was a high pedigree player, is likely to be the top wide receiver on the offense, and I I kind of think that that 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns is probably about what you're going to see again, and Film guys love him. And I know that might not mean much to us. Um, it might not mean much to anyone, really. Um, but the fact that film guys love him tends to mean that his draft stock is going to be a little bit higher. Yeah. So draft yeah. capital, we always say, is the most meaningful part of this. Um, and he is a guy that's likely going to get that draft capital because he is very athletic. He's got, uh, I believe he's like, now nah, I got to look up how big he is. But I believe he has the requisite size that most of the NFL teams would be looking for. So I, I just think he's one of those guys that, um, yeah, he's six foot four. So big wide receiver. Do you, think he, do you think he'll come out after his junior year this year, or do you think he's a four year type player? He is. This is already fourth year. Um, he was oh, a was redshirt. He, he redshirted oh, his freshman year. Never mind. Thank you. Very so much. that's actually the knock on him. If I were to tell no, you why no. the analytics community is lower on him, it's because he's a fourth year player. Has yet, I don't believe that was a breakout season. I'd have to actually look it up, but I don't believe that was a breakout year. Um, and whatever, I don't care that much. Um, sorry. Um, but so he has a lot of that upside, and that's that's why I'm higher on him. Um, to be honest, though, while I do rank him as a uh, kind of turn player right there, there are other players that I would prefer. So in auctions, I'm not going to target him. In Devi drafts, if he's the option that's sitting there, I might be trading back a couple slots for someone who I've told everyone to buy all off season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Chris Olave. <laughs> it's dope as shit. Um, yeah. Uh, he, he I don't think I need to of, say that much about Chris Olave. No, I think the. He didn't put up as big of numbers as the last two receivers we talked about. He had less than a thousand yards. He had less than 50 receptions. Um, he did he was, score a ton of touchdowns though but th those are not always repeatable uh now justin fields of course is still slinging that football to him so so maybe it is <laughs> we'll see but uh what, what are you seeing with him outside of just the uh the the, the beautiful buckeye colors so he was a, he was about a 20 something market share guy i think he was like 22 or 24 percent somewhere in that range um but he was playing with guys that were built in security blankets he was playing with kj hill who was the all-time receptions leader in ohio state history for their career and he was playing with Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor, who were technically the starter over him. So when you're seeing a guy that has 20 plus percent and he is maybe not even starting out the year as your A wide receiver, he's maybe not even the B wide receiver, but he might be the C wide receiver and he's ending up earning all of that. Um, it's really noticeable. The other thing that is meaningful is the fact that this wide receiver room went from very experienced with KJ Hill, Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor, and 
someone else whose name I'm forgetting right now, but they forgot they they're all gone. So now who you're looking at is Chris Alave. He's the very clear cut number one. And while it might not seem meaningful, and maybe this is slightly anecdotal, every big play that happened in the Michigan game when they needed a score in the playoff game, Justin Fields targeted Chris Alave. That is his go-to wide receiver at this point. And if that continues, you're looking at an opportunity for Chris Alave to jump in and have a 30% market share. Um, if that happens, I think Chris Alave is going to prove a lot of people that he is in that same crowd in that, God, there's going to be a lot of first round wide receivers next year, but in that, in that upper echelon of wide receivers, and he's going to be in contention for the top wide receiver in the big 10. And so if that happens, Chris Alave is way more valuable than where most people have him ranked, which is in the 30 range. We're still way too low on him, if I recall correctly. Well, um, I adjusted my, I, I should say we d- did a big adjustment over at Rotoviz uh, this past week. We're su- switching over to Superflex, which is super exciting. Um, but but I, I updated mine and- um, Travis can be wrong. Travis has yeah. him at 56. Um, and maybe he's right. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm seeing Scarlet but I have him at 16th overall. His ADP right now on Debbie Watch Mocks, he is 25th overall. I, I I tend to see it like them. I tend to think that he is a guy that that end of the second round, I'm going to be contemplating him. He is a guy that if I am looking at Tamorion Terry at the top half of the second, I'm probably trading back. And I that, do have Alave ranked higher than Terry, just so you know. <laughs> I mean, I... I I went with it because I think that it is more likely that Terry has a higher draft capital than Chris Olave. But over the course of this year, if Chris Olave is sitting in that 30% market share range, you're going to see Olave climb even higher. And I have him 16th right now, which is, I'm pretty sure, the highest among anyone who ranks Debbie players. Yeah, he's, he's my number 23 um so yeah not i'm, I'm a, bit, a bit lower on you but i've come up a lot you've really done a lot of convincing with me on, on alave i'm excited uh let's uh we've got about 10 minutes left uh so i do want to hit some of the guys are lower on but before we do that i just want to hear your thoughts on a couple of running backs you've got uh max borgie and trey sanders um i'd love to hear uh why you are higher on these guys than most uh borgie makes me nervous just because of the the system that he's he's played within and the coach being gone i know the new coach is you know implementing similar type of system but i mean <laughs> i say that and then i think about how most of our leagues are ppr nowadays and uh borgie did sit there with uh, I, I had to look at this three times 86 receptions last year <laughs> so uh definitely a receiving back but but talk to me a little bit about these two running backs so i'll say this i'm not thrilled to get either of these guys um i'm not exactly jumping out of my seat if i see max borgie sitting there at his adp the problem is Running back sucks for a couple of years. Um, I know people are going to sit here and try and spin and tell you a guy I'm lower. A couple of guys I'm lower on are these really valuable guys, and they're gonna they're gonna hit. And they're gonna be great. Um, but it's kind of a crapshoot after Chuba Hubbard and Travis Etienne next year. And so if you're sitting there and Max Borgie all of a sudden has a third round NFL draft pick, and you're seeing a guy that has had 53 receptions as a freshman. 86 receptions as a sophomore and on 127 carries as a sophomore he averaged 6.4 yards per carry and scored 11 touchdowns I'm pretty thrilled to take that chance because there is a chance that he is a god this feels like an insult but there's a chance he's a Theo Riddick type or maybe it better yet maybe there's a a Philip Lindsay with a better draft capital so it's easier for him to see the field and all of a sudden you're looking at this guy who is versatile. Maybe he's Austin Eckler, but so it's just the fact that he is a versatile player and can be a receiver. Um, the other guy that you have on this list is Trey Sanders. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not real. I don't have a great reason for it. It's that he was a highly regarded player. He's a sophomore. He missed his entire season. I believe he was the number one running back in his class. Um, and he's at Alabama where he's going to be running behind a good offensive line, which means his numbers will get inflated whenever he gets a chance. Um, but he is playing behind Najee Harris this year. Hopefully he gets a little bit of a split. If he ends up getting about 30% of the rush attempts, or at least running back rush attempts, I'll be pretty excited. 
it like I said, running back is really gross until you get to the incoming freshman and uh yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners at betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches, or as I call them, football. Uh, If you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC uh, simulations all day long, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports to bet on, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. So visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, let's move over to some guys you're lower on. Uh, let's let's stick with the running backs here because you have, uh, well, well, I put three guys on the show doc here that I wanted to hear you talk about because uh, two of these guys are players that have been receiving quite a bit of buzz lately. And uh, that that doesn't seem to have swayed you. Uh, one of the guys who I think has really been moving up a lot of people's boards, um, or at least in drafts that I've been in, he goes earlier than than I expect him to, is, is Brees Hall from Iowa State. He put up 897 yards rushing and nine touchdowns with 23 receptions in 12 games last year. Uh, why are you a little bit lower on Brees Hall than others? It's not that I don't think he's good. I think he proved as a freshman that he is valuable And I think that he proved that he has enough versatility to catch the ball effectively. Um, 23 receptions, we've always kind of said one to two receptions per game is really what we want to see. And he hits that kind of minimum threshold. Here's the thing that scares me about him. 4.8 yards per carry playing at Iowa State feels really reminiscent. And while I think he's a better player than David Montgomery, that scares me a little bit. Um... And if he's not going to be this standout player, if they're not going to give him the ball 260 times and he's not going to put up video game numbers, I don't see a path to him getting a high draft capital. So while I think he's probably a player that has a higher ceiling than David Montgomery, I'm similarly scared of him the way I was scared of Montgomery. So, I I mean, I think that's, I I just think his, his price is inflating because of the fact that running back is gross. Yeah, he's about nineteenth on on Debbie Watch right now. So yeah, and that's yeah, it's gross, and I'm not willing. <laughs> I don't want to pay that price. So yeah, um, the next guy, and this is a guy that we've talked about in the past that I probably should have had higher at the time, um, is Journey Brown. He's fine. Um, I think he's gonna. The problem is, I think he's gonna be splitting carries with Noah Kane again this year. Um, I don't necessarily think he's ever going to be a workhorse in college. And I don't think he, unless he, now I've been proven wrong. I didn't think Miles Sanders was going to have this super high draft capital, but unless he's some freak athlete that's running a four, four, I don't think he's going to have great draft capital. He is a player to keep an eye on, but, and if you are running back desperate and you can only take one and you only want to take one in like the third or fourth round. Sure. Go for it. He averaged 6.9 to carry last year. That's pretty solid. And uh, 15 receptions is fine. It's not amazing, but it's fine. But on split workload, I guess you should be happy with it. Yeah, I I mean, I'm probably too low on him. I don't know exactly where I have him ranked, but I think he's a third. I think he's probably a fine pick in the third, fourth round. So just not, he's not a guy that excites me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got him number 48. Um, he's going right around 40, 40. or he, what his, his average is 40 this last month or so he's been going, uh, earlier than that. So, uh, yeah, he's just been climbing a bit and I know, uh, I liked him last year before many people were talking about him. Um, but I think he's gotten even more, I know, right. I think he's even gotten a little bit more, um, buzz than, than I definitely than I expected, but maybe even that I think is warranted. I've got him right at 38. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of in, in step with, I think the world is coming around to how bad running back is right. More and right. more people are noticing that. And it's just similar with every draft we've ever taken part in since 2006 running back. Desperation is a real thing. And he is probably the product of running back desperation. Yeah. Um, uh, a guy, a guy who's moved the opposite direction. And then I want to talk a little bit about running back strategy with you. Uh, but John Emery, he's seen his stock drop just a little bit over the last month. Um, he, he's fallen a little bit. He's, he's now um, 
just one spot ahead of Journey Brown. Um, what, what are your thoughts on him? Why are you a little bit more hesitant um, on him? So last year, going into the year, everyone thought he was it was locked and loaded that John Emery was going to go beat out Clyde Edwards-Alaire and become the starting running back for LSU. And obviously, when he had, I believe, no carries, uh, meaningless carries, uh, 39 carries for 188 yards, yeah, he didn't. He didn't take over that job. Um, I think and he wasn't player. even used as like to to catch the ball either. Obviously, no. Clyde was six doing for, all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so six receptions for sixty yards on the year. I think he's a good player. He's another one of those guys that the problem is is that everyone assumes that he's gonna just step in and be the next great running back, and I think he could, but he's two years out. He's. Um, really unproven and he's just not a guy I'm looking to buy which yeah. is which is I mean it, I I might I may end up being wrong he might end up being Leonard Fournette he might end up being Darius Geis and having these numbers that earn him draft capital and I might regret it but the truth is when you look at a guy who's that unproven he's a, he has a lot of risk built into him when there are running backs out there like Kenneth Gainwell who you can get who are proven and may end up having similar draft capital. Man, you're so much higher on Gainwell than me. Look you're at his numbers. I know. I, I need to I I need to because I'm way lower than everyone else on Rotoviz on on Gainwell. I'm significantly he needs to lower gain some, He needs to gain weight. Yes. Potentially gain it well. Yes. <laughs> I made that joke over on no, Travis said it. <laughs> on Travis's Twitter. I think it was Travis. Uh, we'll have Travis on because I, I do want to talk to him about some of the guys he's a lot lower on than us uh, and higher on. I think we could have some some good debates. I know you've reached out to him and yep. uh, he, he wants to come on. Patrick will both be joining us at some point during the summer. Yeah, so that, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I want to uh, just hear, before we close out, um, I'd like to hear just with, with the landscape of running back being kind of um, future going forward. What are your strategies for people? Like if you missed out on ATN and Hubbard and there's no realistic way of acquiring them, uh, through trades that wouldn't just destroy you. Uh, what, what are some of the ways that, that teams can look to, to maybe plan for the running back situation? If you don't want to be in, uh, just purgatory forever what do you think we were talking a little bit about some of this uh before the show and, and i thought it was worthwhile to bring it up so so hit me with some strategies that you're implementing on and trying to survive the uh so, the wasteland some of the things that i would do is if you're in like a debbie auction league one of the things i would do is look for some of the cheaper incoming freshmen because this incoming freshman class is very strong um you might be able to get zach evans for cheap because a lot of people got sour on him during his whole recruiting process, you might be able to get B. John Robinson for a little bit cheaper just because he's further down the line. And then what you can do um, is potentially then trade off some of that money, see if you can get an aging veteran. Um, but I think what you, if you're in a position where you missed out on all the all the running backs, you didn't take advantage of the class of 2020, you don't have to ETN, you don't have Hubbard, um, and you just don't like any of the guys that are coming up, one of the things that you're probably going to have to do is recognize when your uh, wide receiver window to win is open, recognize when you have the right, uh, the right time frame, And that's when you have to kind of strike and just trade for aging veterans. So kind of jump in and pick up a couple of those. Um, it's even hard to say aging veterans in today's game, but like look for the guys that you get the last gasp of their NFL value. So, Heck, you might be able to get Lev Bell for a whole lot cheaper than you ever would have thought of. Do I think Le'Veon Bell is going to be amazing? No, I don't. But do I think that he's going to have value? Yeah, probably. Uh, David Even guys like Mel Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson, these guys, and they're they're still 25, 26 years old, which is surprising. But uh, but you could probably get them for for fairly cheap because they're going late. They're going late in uh, startup. Talking. All right. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the, the that's the main goal, and that was the thing you and I kind of talked about was you have to. You just have to look for your window and understand when when your window's open, you have to take a shot at these aging wide receivers and keep your window, make the most of your window. So it might require trading off some Debbie assets. It might require, if you are in an auction league, trading off some of those. It might require trading away early picks and just trying to stack up on young players um, late. So you may miss out on the great wide receiver class of 2021 um, if you trade away your first round Debbie picks. If you trade around your first and second great because you might be able to go and get Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon is going to have a lot of value this year. So it's, I think it's, it's this weird balance you have to play where you have to kind of make a decision to 
exploit your windows and maybe you have in the process you you put some older roster or older players on your roster and it's just it's an interesting one because i do think that there are going to be a lot of people who tanked and they they punted off a couple of years and they now they were banking on maybe getting a running back in and you might not see the next greats running back come in until 2022 2023 yeah oh man well i I mean it's it's a reality is breezy hall breeze hall is a legitimate top eight running back right now being taken in debbie drafts he averaged 4.8 yards per carry last year wow yep so i I mean i just think it's it's a when you deal with these wasteland time periods you have to sort of try and find value where you can and maybe it's buying all the young running backs you can from 2020 that were less exciting. So maybe go take a shot on Eno Benjamin. I know you still love him, but you can probably acquire him for cheap. And what if Kenyon Drake's body turns to glass again? Eno Benjamin might be the first guy to see the field. Um, yeah. Maybe Curtis, you Patrick, get, and Curtis, maybe, Curtis put a great episode out this last week talking about volatile players. And he talked about Kenyon Drake and he was talking about Chase Edmonds being a value, but mentioned Eno Benjamin as a guy who could really see a spike in value uh, so, so definitely not, I'm not the only guy <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you could, I mean, it, your other option is to go out and you get all of the guys like Zach Moss, um, AJ Dillon and Anthony McFarlane who are sitting there who have probably equal or better draft capital than the, the player in front of them. So if you're, if you're getting that opportunity to get them for cheap, then maybe it's worth just stashing them and who knows? Maybe James Conner isn't a part of Pittsburgh next year and Anthony McFarland's the starter. You got him for the price of a running back four, a running back five. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, thanks. I, I think there were some really uh, practical applica- applications that people can make uh, from that conversation. So I, I think it was worthwhile. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. We went a little bit over, but uh, that's what we usually do. <laughs> I always tell Matt, hey, if we only go 30, 45 minutes today, not a big deal. And we always go over an hour. Uh, that's why you love us, uh, because we love you. So thank you so much uh, for listening to this episode of the College Football Fantasy Podcast brought to you, of course, by Rotoviz. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors, Blue Wire, FFPC, and Bet Online. Uh, please do check them all out. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, be well. Uh, We're looking forward to coming back. We will have an episode for you in two weeks uh, where we will. uh, Why don't you tell tell them, Matt, because this was was your idea. Uh, Just give them an idea of one of the things we'll be doing on the show in two weeks. So it's it's mock draft season. So it's draft season. So we're going to pick teams. Uh, We everyone knows we like to track teams against the spread. So what we're going to be doing is we're each going to have five picks. That number might change before we actually get there. But we're each going to have five picks. We're going to snake draft where we each pick teams. And at the end of the year, we're going to tally up who had the best record against the, uh, against the spread loser has to make a donation to a charity because in this time where there's a lot of sadness going around, we want to add a little bit of positivity to the world and let's bring it in by doing things that we love, which includes sports betting. So, uh, it includes all of our favorite things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be great. Um, we'll have to figure out who gets the first pick. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to you, arm, you have arm. Time. it's fine um, you know, that, that, I'm looking forward to it, it'll be good um, and of course um, I'm already uh, planned out which charity I'm going to give my money to after last season I'm not, uh, I'm not expecting great things uh, but thank you Matt, uh, it was a good chat as always and uh, thank you all for listening we will talk to you guys soon bye bye